You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Ransomware targets healthcare organizations. Wildcard deploys CisJoker malware. DPRK cryptocurrency theft. The status of Ukraine's IT army. A Russian news outlet unmasks Kill Milk. Our industry insights guest today is Guy Bejarano, CEO and co-founder of Safe Breach, discussing the benefits of breach and attack simulation. And there's discord on dark markets about large language models. Today is Tuesday, November 28th, 2023. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is your CyberWire Intel Briefing. Our top story today involves a major ransomware attack targeting Ardent Health Services, a Tennessee-based healthcare provider, on Thanksgiving causing significant disruptions across hospitals in East Texas, New Jersey, Idaho, New Mexico, and Oklahoma. The attack affected all 30 of Ardent's U.S. hospitals, necessitating the diversion of ambulances to alternative facilities. In response to the attack, Ardent's technology team immediately started working to protect data and restore system functionality, They took their network offline, suspending access to various IT applications, including corporate servers, the Internet, and clinical programs. The incident has been reported to law enforcement, and Ardent is collaborating with third-party forensic and threat intelligence advisors. The extent of any compromised patient health or financial data remains unclear. In a related development, Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee, is probing a cybersecurity incident involving a compromised database. Preliminary findings suggest that the database did not contain personal or protected information about patients or employees. Furthermore, the patient engagement company WellTalk reported a breach earlier this year following an attack by the Klopp ransomware gang. This incident exposed data of at least 426,000 patients from Premier Health in Ohio, and another company based in Georgia. These stories highlight the vulnerability of healthcare organizations, the degree to which attackers are finding them attractive targets, 
and the challenges security professionals face when preparing for and responding to these threats. BlackBerry's Global Threat Intelligence Report for the third quarter of 2023 reveals a significant rise in unique malware samples compared to the previous quarter. The financial services sector remains the most frequently targeted, with evidence suggesting that the same cybercriminal groups might be attacking various institutions across different economic sectors. This trend is partly attributed to the growth of malware-as-a-service platforms like Rusty Steeler, Redline, and Lumna Steeler, which are widely available on underground forums and marketplaces. These developments have led to a convergence of attacks on traditional cybercrime targets and critical infrastructure in various countries, facilitated by the use of shared and commodified tools. Additionally, the report highlights a notable 181% increase in unique malware attacks in the healthcare industry. Researchers have discovered a new variant of cis-joker malware written in Rust that is actively targeting mostly Israeli entities amid the ongoing conflict between Hamas and Israel. Checkpoint, who analyzed the malware, hasn't attributed it to any specific group, but observes its use aligns with Hamas interests. Cis-Joker, previously developed in C++, has been employed since 2021 in attacks against infrastructure, potentially linked to the electric powder operation targeting Israel Electric Company, attributed to the Gaza cyber gang. Intezer, first to report on CisJoker, identifies the current activity as the work of an advanced persistent threat group they name Wildcard. This APT engages in social engineering tactics like phishing emails, fake social media profiles, and bogus news sites, and also exploits legitimate cloud services. Intezer notes that Wildcard, whose exact affiliation is unclear, consistently targets Israeli critical sectors, including education, IT infrastructure, and possibly electric power generation. Researchers at Sentinel-1 have identified two North Korean cryptocurrency theft campaigns named Rust Bucket and Candy Corn. The Rust Bucket campaign initially employed a secondary malware called Swift Loader, disguised as a PDF viewer. This malware activated while victims engaged with a lure document, subsequently retrieving and executing another stage of malware written in Rust. The Candy Corn campaign was more complex, a multi-stage operation aimed at blockchain engineers working for a cryptocurrency exchange. It utilized Python scripts to deploy malware that compromised the host's Discord app, eventually introducing a backdoor remote access trojan named Candy Corn, developed in C++. Recently, there's been a convergence of these campaigns, with elements of Rust Bucket, specifically Swift Loader Droppers, being used to deliver the candy corn payloads. The Moscow-based news outlet Gazeta has reportedly identified the person behind the hacker alias Killmilk as Nikolai Serafimov. Serafimov, known for being media-savvy yet maintaining a concealed identity, often appeared with his face hidden by a balaclava, resembling a stereotypical hacker image. Despite his marketing acumen, he is considered technically unskilled and more of a self-promoter. His reputation has been tarnished by accusations from former colleagues who labeled him a thief involved in running a DDoS-for-hire service and participating in various charity scams. 
These actions are alleged to harm the Russian cause. His former associates have been hesitant to disassociate from him due to fear of retaliation, as Kilmilk allegedly possesses compromising information about their identities. The public exposure of his identity indicates a potential decline in his influence and reputation in the hacking community. The Center for European Policy Analysis published an essay analyzing the IT Army of Ukraine, highlighting the legal ambiguities often surrounding such organizations. The IT Army is compared to U.S. military auxiliaries like the Civil Air Patrol and the Military Auxiliary Radio Systems, serving as an auxiliary force with a different mission but similar status. Operating under effective authority, the IT Army claims to be a non-combatant entity that adheres to the laws and customs of war, a claim supported by current evidence. SIPA notes that the IT Army primarily engages in DDoS attacks. The essay also proposes that the IT Army could serve as a model for smaller or less resource-endowed nations that are unable to sustain a full-scale military cyber command, offering an alternative approach to cyber defense and warfare. Coming up after the break, our guest Guy Bejarano, CEO and co-founder of SafeBreach, discusses the benefits of breach and attack simulation. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. A growing number of organizations are finding that breach and attack simulation plays a critical role in their enterprise security programs, 
automating threat vector testing to enhance defenses. In this sponsored Industry Voices segment, Guy Bejarano, a former CISO himself and now CEO at SafeBreach, shares insights on developing effective breach and attack simulation strategies. First of all, you need to understand as an organization, um, you know, what is your strategy? What are the business scenarios that you are protecting? Um, and once you have that, to apply a breach and attack simulation technology to actually challenge that and to make sure that you're doing the right things is everything. And so it doesn't matter if you're an organization that relies on detection, for example. A lot of OT organizations are not really preventing because uh, uh, preventative controls in, in an OT environment is really challenging. So if you're relying on detection, you want to make sure that whatever detection rule you have will actually fire at the right moment. And the only way to do that is you know, either waiting for an attack to happen, uh, which is not that good, or to test it. And so that type of, of strategy can be tested uh, continuously. If you are an organization that relies on segmentation or prevention, you can actually test your controls to make sure that you're getting the most out of them in those fields as well. So using vast technology to really test your strategy and make sure that it's operating as expected is, is a critical path. You know, I think BAS is, is still relatively new on the block. I'm curious what you found with your customers in terms of strategies for, for getting buy-in from other teams in the organization to adopt a deployment of a proactive BAS program. What we see and, and where BAS really shines is the ability to focus um, the security program. So instead of just, you know, chasing a long tail of problems, uh, which are generic and, and doesn't really say how much you've impacted in terms of reducing the risk, a BAS, a good BAS program and technology can help you to, first of all, measure and in an empirical way to prove out to other teams on what's the, the impact you're, you're making here. And so you're getting a lot of buy-in from other teams. The other one is that you know, you're dealing with less issues uh, because, again, when you're tuning your program to uh, be around the critical business scenarios and you're testing against those threats that that will make the most impact on your business, all of a sudden the discussion is elevated in terms of being strategic and you're you're focusing on less uh, less issues. So it's not about you know patching for vulnerabilities, but is making sure that the attacker's path is is almost impossible. It makes everything around it more accurate and actually easier. Uh, so working with other teams, we found that best solutions really help to the security team to explain and, and to show data, and there you're getting more support from other teams. How do you measure success? You know, when you're looking at, at things like KPIs and, and metrics, what sort of things should people be focusing on to, to see how well they're doing? So this is a great question. So in terms of KPIs, there are a few measurements that can be used here and really depends on the way on, in your risk appetite and how you're looking at, at security in terms of strategy. Definitely measure your time to detect. Uh, so think about an organization that relies on a lot of detection rules and detection engineering. You'll be able to actually test your detection mechanisms and making sure that, first of all, they will fire at the right time, uh, that the alert is getting to the right person, that you know the, the right ticket is opening in your ticketing system, and you can close the entire operational cycle. Very easy to measure. I think that detection time is critical, obviously, because, uh, because the ability, your ability to actually take action before something material, materialized to be uh, a real issue. You can 
measure. So KPIs can be around reducing your attack surface um, over time. So you know you can you can fire millions of attacks. Uh, let's say uh, different permutations of ransomware against your controls, and you can see uh, how over time you're reducing the ability of an attacker to exploit your systems again. You know uh, in a certain way, and that's also very measurable and, and easy to uh, to show for. You can look at things like in terms of again KPIs. What's the ROI I'm getting for my security controls? So I want to make sure that, you know, if my security budget is increasing in 20%, I can show my board that I'm reducing my risk in whatever percent you, you choose to. But it's all measurable. That's another KPI. It can be a business KPI. Uh, and it can be uh, operational KPI, like, you know, I have 50 different gateways and I have the same solution that protects all gateways. I want to make sure that I'm getting the same output uh, for my security control. So hold your vendors accountable for what they promise. And with the best solution, you can actually do that. So you can make sure that your Palo Alto, your CrowdStrike, your, your Splunk will actually work as expected across the organization. You know, if I'm a CISO and I need to make this case that this is something I want to implement, you know, I'm, I'm imagining myself walking in and talking to my board of directors. Uh, any tips on, on how, how I communicate the value of this for the various decision makers and stakeholders? Well, first of all, I think that regardless of what vast technology you, you deploy, I think that, you know, for a CISO, and again, coming from a CISO position, in my uh, history, it's most important to, whenever you're in the boardroom, to talk about business impact and not just security. You don't do security for security. Uh, it's all about the business and what's the business impact. So if you're able to establish that type of lingo with your board and create a repeatable model where you present data and show for, you know, what's your exposure uh, against certain threats and what's the impact to the business. It can be a downtime, can be loss of data, et cetera. And if you can have that empirical way of measuring the impact and provide that information to the board, I think that's very interesting. And what we see, what we see around. So first of all, define the strategy you're going after and then tie it to data. Data is everything. And if you, if you can repeat that quarter of a quarter, and be predictable, much like you know CFOs, then you're starting to create value to the board. You know, I, I know you are a former CISO yourself, and I'm curious, you know, based on your experience, where do you suppose that we're headed here in, in terms of proactive security as you look towards the horizon and some of the challenges that we're facing? Yeah, you know, as, as you look at the, uh, at the horizon and, and the fact that, um, um, you know, attackers are becoming more sophisticated, you know, uh, everything is more automated. Uh, obviously, with uh, the insertion of AI um, and other technologies, you want to have uh, the level of proactiveness to a point where you have enough time to act before an impact is, is, is carried. So if you look at the time that it takes for a new threat to be materialize uh, in the market. And if it, you know, a matter of days to be, it's around six or seven days, something like an SLA around understanding how am I exposed to a threat before the time of materialization in the market, I think it's critical. So automation, embed within everything that you do in your operations, testing capabilities. So you'll be able to know firsthand and, and to be uh, the first one to know about something that uh, can happen and you can take action. Uh, we have, for example, a 24 hours SLA. Uh, so whenever there's a cert alert or an FBI alert uh, and the IOCs 
14 TPs are available. We add it to the product in 24 hours. That's our promise to our customers. So they can you know, take action before that certain threat is, is populated to the entire market. That's Guy Bejarano, CEO at SafeBreach. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And finally, the emergence of large language models like Worm GPT and Fraud GPT sold on underground forums has sparked widespread attention. Sophos XOps conducted an in-depth study revealing a mixed reception among cyber criminals. While several GPT derivatives boast capabilities akin to these models, skepticism prevails, with some labeled as scams. Many in the criminal community find tools like ChatGPT overrated and unsuitable for malware creation, citing operational security concerns and detection risks. While some use LLMs for mundane coding or forum enhancements, their application in generating malware remains largely aspirational and limited to proof of concept. Unskilled actors struggle with prompt restrictions and code errors, highlighting a gap between interest and practical application. Intriguingly, these forums also host discussions on AI's broader implications echoing the same logical, philosophical, and ethical debates seen elsewhere. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Before we go, a quick reminder that today is Giving Tuesday, an opportunity to show your support for your favorite charitable organization or nonprofit. We hope you'll spare a moment and consider giving to an organization that has meaning for you. We've included a list of some of our team's favorite worthy causes in our show notes. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. 
Our executive producer is Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. And I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.